You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who have been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and then definitely follow them on Instagram for all the information that you need because I'm sure that's where you follow us as well at Oklahoma HOF. Let's get into today's episode. Well, we're back. You're back. I it's am good back. to have Thanks. you back. Thank you for having Oops. me. Uh, yeah, it's last. I mean, we've had had you on first. I mean, it's been over a year now. Uh, Talk about Dead Center was one of the first episodes, and then we did with Gray. Yes. Almost maybe six, seven months ago. Yes. And now we're back to talk about, you know, what you've done after after Dead Center and now, you know, previously just chatting away, talking before we were recording about, you know, the column you write and, and things that are coming out this year. But for everybody listening that hasn't gone back and uh-huh. listened to our original interview, which I'll post in the description, the number of that, um, give everyone a little, you know, five minute who is Lance McDaniel and how do we get to here? Um, well, great. Well, so That's I five minutes uh, enough. So, <laughs> no, I can do it in two sentences. I'm from Alva. Um, so I grew up in Alva, which is in the Northwest part of the state, which you uh-huh. know, obviously. And, um, and was there until, until I was 13. And, uh, and I, I, I feel like the movie I just made is kind of a direct reflection of the fact that I was um, raised exposed to the arts, exposed to different cultures, and given not only appreciation of different people, but an understanding that we're all the same and that we yeah. all, you know. And so um, I believe I learned a lot of that in Alpha. And so for me, my my growing up there was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And there was an Alpha Boys Choir um, led um led by a guy named Fred Newman, where all the, like, I think it was like third through sixth graders got to go and you traveled all over Southern um, Kansas and you went to rest homes and churches and sang. Yeah. And it's amazing how many Alva people have really great jobs here in the city. And uh, and they're not all singers. I mean, there's judges and lawyers and, and corporate people and, and a lot of doctors. And I think the confidence you gain Mm-hmm. as a kid by going and singing with a group of people and, and in front of all these people you don't know. I just have to believe that mattered. And so um, so growing up in Alva was probably one of the most formative things that happened to me. We then moved down to Oklahoma City and I went to Edmond and then went to high school at Purcell and graduated from Heritage Hall. And so I did a kind of the sampler platter of Oklahoma yeah, education, you get to see all uh, of public and private. And, um, and all of those were great. And I think I really benefited from the fact that I had awesome teachers at every single school I went to and um, that really cared about me as a person. Um, and then um, for, Cal- for college, I went to Stanford. And I would say that's another place where my mind was kind of blown blown apart and then pieced back together. And, um, and it took those ideas that I learned in Alva to a new level, which is, okay, you're like, what is going on with race in America? And I was in school when Rodney King mm-hmm. um, incident happened and so when he got beat. And, um, and so I feel like that was kind of the second place where my mind was really kind of blown yeah. and, um, and expanded. And then um, I was an internet consultant for about 12 years and built the first website for Levi's and Starbucks and Star Wars and a lot of those really fun ones. And um, and then at 34, decided I really wanted to be a director. And so I started over and I got a job as a free intern for Gray Fredrickson, mm-hmm. Oscar winner and um, fellow um, podcaster. Yeah. Um, and, um, and Gray gave me a job. And um, so I, I moved from New York to Los Angeles and um, worked on Cloud Nine, which was the first movie from his production company, Graymark, which he started with John Simonelli um, and Mark Stansberry. And, um, and 
then I worked on Million Dollar Baby mm-hmm. with, with Gray's friend, Albert Esreddy, and, um, and that was totally awesome. And then Gray said, will you move back home because I'm going to do a series of low-budget scary movies. And so I moved home to work on Gray Mark movies, and I've been home 15 years. Um, and I've worked on independent film the entire time, um, but I took a 10-year, not break, but 10 years I worked at Dead Center. So as mm-hmm. you know, so I ran yeah. the Dead Center Film Festival. And what I find, um, what I love so much about Dead Center is um, it it made me feel more at home than any place in the city when I moved home. So when I came mm. back in 2005, Oklahoma City was very different. We didn't have the park or the river. You know, I mean, there yeah, were a lot of things yeah. that were still just, no just coming. Um, and um, and Death Center was one of those bright, shining spots that was, here's a hundred different stories from around the world. Mm. So it didn't matter kind of what your opinion was. There was going to be some stuff that you loved and stuff that you did not like. And yeah. then you would go to these parties and debate with people why you didn't like it. And it was just so exciting and engaging. And it really was the first time I had actively sought out festivals as fun because I'd been to other festivals, but um, in other cities. But it was, um, and so um, I volunteered for Melissa Scaramucci for seven years uh, or for five years rather um, in um, programming. And so I would watch mm-hmm. almost every movie that would come in for several years, and um, and that was such a great education because I was new at filmmaking. Yeah. And so to be able to watch hundreds of movies a year that were short films and features and everything really kind of helped shape the kind of stuff I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, um, and so then when I was at Dead Center, and they grew Dead Center into a super cool nationally recognized event yeah. before me, you know, and so I think it's so I think it's important for people to know that what Khaki and Melissa did with the, the festival that Jason Justin Floyd founded was they turn it into something super solid so that when I came on in year 10, I had this existing entity mm-hmm. that I could then package and market differently, yeah. you know, and so it wasn't. I didn't invent the wheel. What I did was figure out a way to package that wheel and sell it, and um, and create education programs that would allow us to expand across the state, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and start training and doing more rural film classes and stuff like that. So um, I, I'm very proud of the ten years I was at Dead Center, yeah. and I think we accomplished a lot and we grew a ton. But I think that that is a direct result of how awesome the people before me were, creating something that was so interesting mm-hmm. and and possible to sell. Um, and then I stepped down in July. And my after 10 years, and part of it was I'd been there 10 years. The organization is 20. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a pretty clean, mm-hmm. clean break. Cut, like, yeah. what am I, am I, I going to run it for 20 years or 30? Mm-hmm. Like, is this how I'm dying? You know, and so yeah. I kind of felt like Alex Picard Davis should not have to be 50 to run this thing. You know, she's smart enough. She's super capable. She's mm-hmm. awesome. And so um, and so she and I talked about it for about a year and a half. So she knew first. That's good. And um, and I'm like, but if you want this job, then let's figure out what you, know, what you need to do. So the board, because you work for the board of directors. Right. You know, what, once I'm gone, you work for them. You don't work for me. And she got very active in National Film Festival Alliance and um, and is now the vice president of the board there. And that has been such a blessing for Dead Center, and especially when COVID hit. Because when, right. when, when theater shut down, she was immediately on a call every other day with other festivals from Seattle to Sundance to whoever else saying, what are the technologies? How do we get this going? And so we were one of the first people to fully use Eventive mm-hmm. um, just because of our timing in June. And so a lot of the, a lot of the success we had with our, with our 20th anniversary was because Alex was involved nationally, is technical. So I felt like it was a great time to leave. I think the virtual festival was a wild success and yeah. super interesting. And then, um, and two weeks later, I got a call about um, the fact that Race Dance's Hip Hop Nutcracker, um, which is a dance show that's mm-hmm. performed at OCCC and used to be at McGinnis, um, is not going to be able to, to happen because they go into Oklahoma City Public Schools and teach dance, and then that's who makes up the dance show. Well, they yeah. couldn't do it because of COVID. And so he chose 
Gallup, who's the founder, said, will you help me make a movie? And I'm like, you betcha, because yeah. I'm obsessed with this thing. Yeah. And then separately, a guy named Heath Hayes, who works for the Department of Mental Health here in Oklahoma, said Lance there is um, there is some some funding that we that people are we're trying to get we're trying to figure out ways to decrease the stigma around mental health and addiction yeah and I and I had done a movie in Alva called the homecoming trilogy about a woman who gets out of prison and dies because of her addiction mm-hmm. and it was all told through dance and it's not a very happy movie but poignant yeah and um, and he saw it and he was like would you consider telling a different story which is that what if that woman got the resources she needed mm-hmm. and I'm like well great so what we came up with is Finding Carlos, which is um, based on race dance company's hip hop nutcracker. And instead of Clara, it's Carlos who meets his father for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's what their dance show is about. And so we took that and expanded it to, and their Carlos was about, you know, six or seven years old. We made ours a teenager who's struggling with anxiety and whose parents are addicts, one recovered. And um, and it's him trying to kind of find his way in the world against the backdrop that the father is his world-renowned choreographer. And so there's 11 dance numbers all based on nutcracker songs. And, um, it's awesome. Like, yeah. I, like it's a, for me, it's the best movie. It's the most fun I've had making a movie. I think it's the best movie I've made. And the spirit of a bunch of people coming together during the pandemic to make some to make something to make yeah. art about helping others allowed a really good spirit throughout it. Yeah. And so yeah. So <laughs> yeah. <was> that five, <laughs> eight. Uh, so we did. That was good. Uh, <laughs> thank you for watching. <laughs> uh, so when so you knew we, we, back to leaving dead center. You knew right not just that year you knew a year and a half before so it was like okay like so you were looking I guess transitioning and looking for what's next but did you know uh, I mean until this Finding Colors opportunity came to you was there anything else that that, like had because of COVID had to take a back seat that was because you didn't think I mean COVID happened and you're like yeah you know a year prior to that you're thinking I'm about to quit then you not quit about to step down from dead center and and I'm going to have all this stuff and then you're in the process of thinking what's next and COVID happens and everybody's plans are no longer. Right. And then Finding Colors comes up. So well, it, it, <laughs> I'm interested to know so, what yeah, was so, on the well, plate so that was not on the plate really after, right? to me. I am... Um, and this may be terrible for your viewers. I um, I knew I needed to leave Dead Center. Yeah. I did not know where I was going after that. Okay. And that is an unusual situation to be in. And I'm not. And it wasn't. I knew because it was negative, or right. I was sick of it. I felt like ten years was exactly how long I should be at this organization yeah. in order for it to get fresh blood. Because film, unlike a lot of arts, film is constantly evolving. Yeah. You know, I mean, the technology changes every single day. And so to have one, like, there just isn't the need to have the continuity that I mm-hmm. think, like if you're running the Philharmonic yeah. and you've got, you know, 150 union musicians, I mean, like like the continuity of leadership certainly is, imp- is, is a little more important. But when yeah. you're running a film festival that's managed by three or four people, what you need is new, fresh ideas. Right. And, I, and, and I hadn't run out of them, but I was yeah. like, hey, it's, some, it's time for someone else's. So, yeah. <clears throat> so because I was coming from that perspective, I wasn't as focused on what was next. And I think that that was probably scary for my family and scary for other people. (laughs) I had saved money, so it wasn't like I was, you know, worried about about running out of money. But I was just like, this is, I feel like I need to be doing something else. And my Mm -hmm. my heart is I want to make movies. Okay. I didn't know if there was any money to make movies. I didn't know if there was any money for me to make movies. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah. there are so many factors that you can't control in making movies when you're seeking investors that I basically was just like, and so I turned down some jobs that okay. I got. And um, a couple of good ones, some job offers, because I was like, I'm not leaving some, 
I'm leaving for a reason because right. I want to tell stories and I'm not quickly going to jump into something that keeps that from happening. Yeah. So, um, so for me to kind of jump without a net and to land on yeah. this project two weeks later was an absolute godsend. And um, it would not have happened if not for COVID because sure. race dance would have had their show yeah. and the mental health money would not have been freed up to get people who are at home dealing with anxiety. Yeah. And so all the factors that made the job market terrible for everyone else came together to make something really special for yeah. me. Or not, not special for me, that allowed me to be a part of something really that's special. Really, that's really cool, isn't it? Like you kind know? of freeing that you, would, you didn't really know what was gonna happen, but by having the the power in you to turn down those jobs, right? right? And think, you know, I spent 10 years somewhere. I'm not about to spend another 10 somewhere else doing something that I kind of want to do, but I don't want to right. do because I want to give it my all and go make movies. Right. And then this opportunity comes in. It, it was great. And it's, well, so I've, I quit as an internet consultant, you know, mm -hmm. and I was a global vice president. Yeah. I mean, like I had an amazing job, made tons of money and quit and became a free intern on a beach volleyball movie. And, <laughs> It was, <laughs> and it was yeah. one of the biggest, yeah. one of the best things I ever did for myself. Yeah. And so because of that, I had an example internally of you've started your life over before and mm -hmm. then moving after being gone for 16 years or 18 years, yeah. being coming back to Oklahoma was a big decision and it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made. Like I believe moving home to Oklahoma is the best decision I made. Yeah. And so every time I've made a major decision, it's turned out pretty great. So I wasn't that scared. Why do you think it was so easy, not easy, but why do you think you were so comfortable Comfortable to make those decisions because a lot of people listening or watching mm -hmm. might say, you know, <laughs> you're a dumbass. I'm well. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you're, you're a global vice president. You're working for you know giant like Star, Starbucks yeah. and Star Wars, are yeah. not small companies. Yeah. Uh, on the internet side too, with the whole tech boom and everything, and money's great, and you're having a great time. You, you know, you live in San Francisco at the time. Well, I London, yeah. London. Okay, yeah, London. Yeah, 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 having a blast. Yeah. Um, and then you think you know what, I'm going to take a total life change and I'm going to go chase a dream and right. do something that I really want to do. Right. It takes a, I mean, I, what did mom and dad say? Well, so here, well, um, what is awesome about my family is they have been absolutely supportive the yeah. entire time. And so I think it is, it's not, it is not like I'm ever jumping without a, I, I said jumping without a net. That is not a fair assessment of the privileged life I lead, <laughs> you know, in that there is a net all yeah. over the place. I could move it with any of my family members and we get along great. And so I do have a net. And yeah. so I think that part of the reason I'm able to be so bold is because I'm okay. not scared of failure. Sure. And a lot of that is just the natural comforts I have from having a, a, a nice family that, that does well. But also um, the confidence I got based in Alpha. I mean, like the confidence you get as a kid mm -hmm. that, and my mom, and dad, I was going to say beauty into us, were very clear to us that we could do anything we wanted. Right. And if we, you know, go try out for that play, try out for that football team, try out for this. And it was, we were constantly pushed to try everything. Yeah. And I think to a frustrating extent, sometimes you're like, I don't want to do this. I want it was like, I'm sorry, you can choose at 18. Until 18, we're choosing for you and yeah. you're doing all of it. Yeah. And I think that trying things you're not good at. And that's what I think people mm -hmm. have gotten away from now is my daughter's good at dance. So she's a dancer at nine. Yeah. And you're like, really? You think at 60, she'll be a dancer because why don't you let her try other things? You know? Right. And so for me, I feel like, um, by being pushed into do stuff that we were scared to do or not always great at, mm -hmm. you know, cause if you're in the choir and the football team and the band, you're probably not great at all of them. Yeah. And so you're, you have to get used to being a team member and not being the star. Yeah. And so I feel like the confidence that we got from that has allowed me to make 
make bolder choices and um, and um, and I'm single so so I, I mean all of you yeah. out there that have a family this would seem irresponsible but I don't right. and so I so I think part of that was okay if I don't have the natural trappings that are keeping people from living their mm-hmm. ideal life why am I not living my ideal life yeah and you see it as a new adventure and I'm gonna go do this and you know like it, having that kind of whatever if, if it goes down the pan and the worst thing happens I can always move home right, right and that's kind of how I felt when I moved to the states too was like I can always move home my home's always going to be there um, regardless if, if it's you know I'm still going to have a, a bedroom hopefully when I went home for the first time <laughs> I was like mom you still have my room right <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. but you said something really important there too was back to Alva a mutual friend of ours Andrew Holder said the same thing he everything comes back to the arts right, right? and being in the arts whether it's at Alva or another school or another town or whatever it is being in the arts helps you grow as a person so much right because of all the things you try and standing on a stage i mean there's people who live uh, i know 80 90 years and they hate being on stage their entire life right you know like it's just a fear that we have but once you're under the lights for the first time and you get used to that and you get comfortable you grow and then you know you're in other places and and then being in conversation and speaking to people on stage or not on stage is, is not a big thing anymore right, because you've right. been under the lights. Exactly. And you know when you're up there, you can't see anything anyway. Right, right? Well, exactly. You exactly. see the front few rows and that's it. Well, and, and, and it's interesting because um, growing up, choir was mandatory. Uh-huh. And I actually loved that because just just the and I was thinking this while you were talking just the idea that you're sitting in a room and there's 30 people singing the same note and you have to adjust your note so you're not the wrong one yeah. and you realize that the person two down is always right so you listen to them a little bit more it changes the dynamics of how you're looking at people because those same awesome singers probably aren't the best football player and maybe not the you know and yeah. so it gives people the ability to try out different things without having to be the star and I do think that that, um, that really helped me the te- the the teammate part of of it um, and um, and I've just be, once you have success of starting your life over, you're like, okay, I can do it again. Yeah, you know. And after ten years, I'm like, well, it's not being. I'm not just jumping place to place. It's a decade between. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it. And I, I love that. Like everything that you've done, kind of comes together and you put towards. It's not like you're trying something completely different. Well, exactly. Right? Everything kind of comes together. Well, exactly. And it's interesting because when I uh, when I when we start when we when Kim Haywood and I started the education program. Um, or basically redefined it and started going to 30 rural schools every fall. It was as exciting to me as flying around as a consultant in London. I mean, very different, obviously, when you're flying to Copenhagen, this and the other. But ultimately, as a job, you know, it's it's awesome the first time. But after you go there Tuesday through Thursday, every day, you know, every week for seven weeks or whatever, you're like, okay, I'm still, you know, pushing paper. Um, But the skills I gained from being able to go to a room in a different country and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. is pretty similar to going to Laverne High School. These are a bunch of, you know, 15-year-olds that don't know me or care. And so... Almost harder to go talk to the 15-year-olds than it is to go to... And it's so funny and it's so awesome because, you know, I grew up in Northwest Oklahoma. So when I go to Laverne, I know know the teacher, I have family in Laverne, Woodward, Sealing, all these great places. And so to go in and see how sweet the kids in Oklahoma are has Mm -hmm. been almost the most rewarding part of it because you hear like oh education's down this that and the other and then you go into school and every single school the kids were great yeah you know every single school they're smart kids and fun and it's diverse and they're kind to each other and so you're yeah. like okay well I mean, I, there are problems that need to be solved, but it's not the people. It's just like systemically, we got to solve education. But it is—it was great because every teacher I I met was fabulous and yeah. and asked me to come do our program because they wanted the kids to be exposed to something different. <clears throat> and so I've only had really positive experience traveling around Oklahoma, and it, and that's what kind of made it feel like. <clears throat> 
when I was a consultant because sure. you're just like, oh, it's the same process of going yeah. into a room with people you don't know and, and learning to find something cool about them. Yeah. So back to the movie. Yes. Uh, like two weeks after Dead Center, you get this, this, this phone call, this opportunity. <laughs> Heath calls you and says, hey, well, you yes. might have some money. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, let's do it. Why not? This is yes. Well, so and then, and then the well, then the COVID money changed because um, of so right at, right after uh, we had that talk, Governor Stitt got COVID, mm-hmm. and then that money was redirected. And so the, so <clears throat> the fact is, the funding came from different sources, and it started. Sure. But but I met with I um, Melissa and I met with I believe eleven or twelve advocacy groups from the Oklahoma uh, not so. Um, Mental Health Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Depression Bipolar, Suicide Prevention, and our goal was to meet with all these advocacy groups and see how we could take some of the things that they're dealing with mm-hmm. and their and their constituents are dealing with and fuse that into our story. Yeah. And so the movie itself is very informed by all the different advocacy groups that then helped pay for the movie. Yeah. And. Um, the fact is, we're advertising. It, it is it is very much a day, a Christmas dance movie, but at its core, it's a pretty serious drama about a boy and his father, mm-hmm. and um, and. We've, I feel great about that. I feel like we're telling a, a positive message about we all have we all have mental health problems. Yeah. It's how do we acknowledge those? How do we get help for those? And so, um, yeah, so it was it was exciting. Now, I brought Melissa Scaramucci on as soon as I had a conversation with he because she's my co-writer and she's brilliant. And um, and this was probably the best script, that, the best experience we've had writing a script, even though we only had like two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, so we start in July. We write it by August, audition, start filming in September, finish October 16th and have in theaters by December 3rd. That's 4th. amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so normally yeah. that's a year-long process that we yeah. did in three months. And um, and part of it was I've worked on 21 movies, yeah. and so I know the process pretty well, and I also know the people that are efficient. That mm-hmm. you know, and But a lot of it is just we brought people together that made it happen. You know? yeah. And so it's like I think I'm, I'm not an auteur, and I know you know auteurs. I'm not. I think I'm a good leader of creative people going in the same direction, yeah. and I think that that's kind of my skill as a director. And in this film with 70 dancers, 12 choreographers, you know, and a really intense um, mental health yeah. message. It was. I was lucky to have so many amazing partners make it happen. Mm-hmm. And it's shot in Oklahoma City. It's all shot in Oklahoma. We we mm-hmm. uh, we're in Medicine Park. We're out at Concho. Um, because of COVID, we had a 13 person crew instead okay. of a 75 one. Yeah. And so the gaffer was his own assistant. Um, and it still looks great. I mean, I think when you, when you see it, you'll be surprised how beautiful it is with yeah. 13 people making it and and zero people grips and electric. I mean, yeah. because with COVID, you just couldn't have that big of a of a set. And um, um, and everyone that and and we tried to hire some people that didn't want to do that. That were like, no, I'm not working on that small of a project because it's like a short film. We're like, well, great, th- then this isn't for you. Yeah. But the people who came on board were awesome. Um, and then we wrote the story such that when you see the credits, there's 70 dancers, but there's never more than nine at a time. Gotcha. And they're all in different locations. And yeah. so all of the dances were all of the dances were rehearsed separately with separate choreographers and dancers, and everyone was tested. And so COVID made a very tricky production. Mm-hmm. But it was also super interesting because, like, as a problem solver, and I, I'm a first AD as well. So the the idea yeah. of how do you schedule all these people so that no one, so that we don't have more than twelve, we never have more than three people in a scene unless yeah. they're dancing. So yeah. the first three weeks, we only had one scene that had more than three people for the first two weeks of filming, and we're and, and part gotcha. of that was we scheduled it, you know, because COVID scheduled that way. Um, so that by the time we got to the dance scenes, you know, we we done, you know, we were at less risk, and so yeah. um, I don't know, it was awesome. He chop who's brings such a beautiful spirit to everything she does that it made, you know, and you and I are, you know, so a lot of film sets are very male mm-hmm. and very white male. Like, mm-hmm. like in 2005, it was 100% white guys yeah. and a couple of women. 
you know, and onto film sets here. And now they're naturally diverse, just like the world is, yeah. which is totally awesome. And having and um, Amy Janes and Kim Mott were our production managers. You know, Richard's, uh, you know, Richard and Amy Janes oh. from from Green Pasture Studios. Oh, great! Okay. So they own the studio out in Spencer. <laughs> And she and Kim were just totally awesome. And then he, my other producers were he and Melissa Scaramucci. And so it was me surrounded by four of the nicest women on earth. So even my natural instincts to be not be as nice yeah. were completely <laughs> muted by the fact that they were all so sweet. And every time I, I'd get yeah. a little worked up, they're like, everything okay? I'm like, you're right, you're right. This is awesome. This I don't is, know, yeah. you're right. Yeah. So it made it so much less stressful because no one was building off each other's negative energy. Right. It was constantly reinforcing, hey, we're blessed to be working on this. We're yeah. lucky to be having a job. Right. And so relax. If there's a problem, let's solve it and relax. And, you know, and so, and then we hired Jacob Burns to film it and he's the sweetest person on earth. And so it just, yeah, so it just yeah. made for a really nice uh, group. Have such a tight knit group because of COVID, right? To have, I mean, everybody totally. is, like you said, it could have been 75 people. Right. And you always get little pockets of negativity or something right. pops up or, you know, yeah. there's always groups yeah. It naturally get segregated right. with such a tight crowd. That's been really cool. It was interesting. And, um, <clears throat> and it's funny because I, um, yeah, I mean, like the last two films I did were short films. And mm -hmm. so this was more like a short film crew. And I don't think it's, I don't, and I don't hope every film does that. I hope we have 150 yeah. person crews every time. Cause right. I love all these, all of my friends getting work. So it's not about, I'm not trying to push for that, but <clears throat> for this situation during the pandemic, it was the perfect environment. Mm -hmm. And I, the partners were just as kind and sweet as possible. It made me a kinder person. And, um, and our leads were so great. I mean, it was it was interesting because we also didn't do a wide audition like normally. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm working with Chris Fryhofer, Chris Fryhofer, or Ricky Mazza or somebody, and just didn't because we're like we can't really even do a casting pro process right. safely. And here was the main thing. Film film actors were getting a lot of work at the time. You know, Reagan was here. Yeah. You know, so a few months ago, there were a lot of films, and yeah. every actor I knew was either auditioning or getting a part in these different movies. Out of Exile, Kyle um, Kwaka Harris's movie had mm -hmm. you know, every manly man in Oklahoma was in that, and it was so funny watching him pose with Adam Hampton and, and Wilson Novice and all these awesome total studly dudes, and then mine are just like fabrics and Dan. You know, you know, you know, I was like, wow, we're making literally the opposite movie. Yeah, um, but. Um, um, we decided, and he asked me to, she was like, hey, our dancers are out of work. So mm. my goal in making the movie is hire dancers. Uh, yeah. And so we decided, so we hired all dancers and theater actors for the most part, you know? Uh -huh. So, I mean, like, there had been people who had been in a couple of films, but for the most part, we were trying to hire people who were out of work. Yeah. And so that was very different, you know, so I didn't get to work with a lot of my, my um, normal film friends. But we were trying to provide an opportunity for people who could not do sure. their art live. And we think that we, so I feel really good about yeah. that. And what's amazing is how good the actors are. And the lead kid, um, Maximus White, is from class at SAS. And then his love interest, um, Layla Rickman, also goes to class. And, yeah. um, and, um, um, and they are just fabulous on camera. And then um, Michael Andreas plays his father, and he was on Broadway in a show called A, a Soldier's Play. Okay. And that's nominated for seven Tony Awards this year. Yeah. And um, because of COVID, that got shut down, so he was sent home. So. COVID, while awful in general, um, really played a really allowed for things to come together nicely on this movie. Yeah. You know, he wouldn't have been home from New York, that or you know, Michael would not have been home from New York. The dance show would have happened. You know, all these different things mm -hmm. were just perfect time. Yeah, you know. makes it special, right? It does it's make a special, it special opportunity. And then it's you a wouldn't special have these opportunity. Guys and I watched, I watched it again last night. Yeah. I've now watched it probably you know forty times. 
all the way through. And I like it every time because the spirit of it is what we were trying. We were able yeah. to convey a nice spirit, and that was the goal. And a message. Well, a nice message, yeah. which is you are not alone, and there are people here that want to help you if you ask. Yeah. So last week, uh, we sat here with JB. JB uh, was telling us all about it. Uh, oh, good. You know, the, mu- the music in it. You guys collaborate on the yeah. music and, and work together on that, and he plays a part in the movie. And he said that he knew the original Carlos story yes. from school when he was in, like, high school and stuff. Yes, so Carlos— Which is amazing. Yes, so the original Carlos went to Douglas High School, mm-hmm. and, um, and he— he was kind of flir- not flirting around, but basically toying around with gang life and took a dance class that he Chapu's taught at Douglas mm-hmm. High School and decided not to go into gang because of that class and went to school. And now he is the director of admissions for Langston University yeah. and, um, and is getting his Ph.D. And so when she created the Hip Hop Nutcracker eight years ago, she based it on him. And that's why she changed it from Clara to Carlos, because she's like dance can transform lives. And I've seen it happen. Yeah. And um and he is in the movie, and he has a cameo in the movie as the kind of the head of the rec center there. And um, he's awesome. But it, but having him on set and, and having him come to set and introducing it was like, hey, there is a real Carlos. Yeah. And art helped real Carlos get his life on track and become a success. And yeah. so that so it allowed every person to be like, oh no, we're, the guy that we're talking about actually lives. And and so and JB is the greatest. I'm glad you mm-hmm. interviewed him because he is such an awesome collaborator. He brings the perfect spirit to it. And so he helped produce the soundtrack. Yeah. He um, He's the rapping narrator in the movie. And he's just totally awesome. You know, so it starts yeah. with him rapping and it's very, very fun. And uh, and he's just great. So, yeah. yeah. So, and, he, and he's one of, you know, tons of different collaborators. Um, Brand J, Brand J Jackson, who's mm-hmm. a jazz singer over in Tulsa and who won um, Black Wall Street's Artist of the Year <clears throat> or Female Artist of the Year. Um, she plays the Sugar Plum Fairy. And okay. so she has a really big role and then she also sings the kind of one single off the soundtrack or one of the couple singles and then Bobby Moffat Jr. is a, a musician from Tulsa that does the mm-hmm. music yeah I mean I'll for everyone listening you can go to Dead Center and watch it yeah you, right? yeah so it's, it's play, like, yeah it's so all, we're it's ready so to go. with the funding our mm-hmm. goal what I'm sorry with the when we applied for the grant it was we will get it we will make find a way to get it to Oklahomans for free during December. Yeah, and so which is a very unusual release strategy. You yeah, normally yeah, are like, I'm going to a festival. I'm looking yeah. for this and the other. But it's like, no. Within the budget, yeah. we have paid for the ability to get it out there and advertise Strange, it, so yeah. that if you're in Alva, you can go on your computer and watch it for free at deadcenterfilm.org. And um, and that was very important, not only to our funders but to me. It was like, yeah. well, if we are making a message about positive mental health during a pandemic, we don't want to get it out in 2021. Yeah, we want to get it out there and. Yeah. So uh, what we're also very grateful for is Rodeo Cinema Mm -hmm. and the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. And then there are 12 other theaters around Oklahoma, including the Rialto and Alva and Circle in Tulsa, that are playing the film as it allows. You know, and so yeah. I went to five screenings this weekend, all of the, all five at different places, and um, they were like 30 people screenings. So most of the theaters yeah. we love, yeah. <clears throat> it is. I wanted Max White to see himself on a big screen because he's a total star. And so it was awesome for me that he got to go to the Museum of Art yeah. with his parents and grandparents and cousins and friends and see that he is actually totally awesome in this movie. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very grateful for the theaters. But the fact is, my parents watched it at home because my parents are 82 and they're not trying to go into public you know, more yeah. than necessary. And so our goal is that anyone can see it for free all month. And so it's at deadcenterfilm.org. That's awesome. Uh, so with 2020 being just 
a complete dumpster fire for the most part, right? Uh, TV's actually been decent. Oh, it's been amazing. You know, and we, yeah. we before recording, we were talking. You write a column in the yes. newspaper, and and there's a lot of really good series and stuff that's come out this year. Uh, I was watching Blacklist, yeah, uh, and the last like couple of episodes of Blacklist they had to do anime and stuff like that to figure it out and at first I'm like this is horrific yeah. you know want to see Raymond Reddington and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff um, but it, it was fine it worked out fine um, but there's been you know uh, you mentioned Queen's Gambit Shit's yes. Creek oh, and all the these Crown, other movies the new of Crown. Tiger King yeah, yeah. Well, stuff, so. it is um, what's interesting is that you know, and um, and this I noticed this some when I was outside the entertainment industry, but be working in the industry, you know, Sundance used to be I want to I want to sell my film to Sundance yeah. and get a theatrical release, and then after Lena Dunham, it was like I want to sell my film to Sundance and have it turned into a limited series. Yeah, you know, and so that was because a lot of them weren't. So um, I do think the the series and the limited series on streaming services have become absolutely mm-hmm. spectacular, and in my mind, as good as the film industry for sure. Like yeah. like like the stuff I've enjoyed this year has. A, has been more television than film mm-hmm. and a lot of that was tons of fil- tons of studios stopped all their films from coming out you know so there's some beautiful yeah. stuff um what was that uncle paul there's one that just came out with paul bettany um, okay oh uncle yes frank. uncle frank uncle uh-huh. frank which is gorgeous and it's yeah. you know it's about this gay guy um, um and reconciling his home life and it is it was awesome we saw it at mm-hmm. sundance and that was one that was going to go into his festivals and then pulled out once yeah. once it happened and then i think released on amazon sure well. but um but um it's been an amazing year for television what'll be fascinating is to see what happens in fall of 2021 yeah. when there haven't been any new productions for the last nine months right you know so that's yeah. when that's what i'm curious about because the quality mm-hmm. i mean queen's gambit is Fabulous looking. It's beautiful. The production yeah. design's amazing. The, the crown, of course, is just flawless. And so, what happens when you don't have those big productions? Because most people have shut down at right. least for three to six months. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see, and I think it, I think we'll see a film renaissance because all the shelved movies will start getting the attention Coming back. Out. And these mini series that weren't able to film for a few months will yeah. be on, on hiatus. Yeah. For for me, it was like James Bond got stopped. Oh, I know. Wasn't it the new Bond, and then. Top Gun as well for me. Like I, <gasps> Top t- Gun was the dude. thing I most look forward you know? to. In because, and, and I loved seeing the the trailers and, and the, you know oh. because of the way that they trained. They were in the planes. Like that's yes. the way it was shot. It was so cool because yes. the original Top Gun. You know they're not the acting in this and Miles Teller's in it. I love Miles Teller. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I just thought that's that's cool to see that trying to act while you're pulling four or five G's in a, in a fire jet. Well, that's amazing. And, and the, the original Top Gun is one of my favorite movies yeah. ever. And I was in high school when it came out and loved it obsessively. And, um, and Tom Cruise and all that. And then when I went to college, I think that was the first DVD that had surround sound okay. on it. Yeah. Or it was, it was the first like movie that, yeah. that I remember we were sitting in someone's room and when they flew by, it went all the way around <laughs> the room. We're like, oh, so we watched it yeah. a million times. And, um, and so that was the movie. I mean, and yeah. I love all the Bond movies, but that oh, top gun, so I was so excited. Yeah. So when that got bumped, I'm like, oh, wow, there is a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's there? getting yeah. serious. I yeah. can't see a Tom Cruise movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so tell tell me about your top, I guess, top stuff that you've watched this year for the for, well, yeah, well, you know, so, for, uh, for what's coming well, out. Um, the for me, the best thing I watched this year that I still keep thinking about was the the Last Dance, the Michael mm. Jordan um, documentary on ESPN that then replayed on Netflix, and. Um, I've always, I've always just been mesmerized by Michael Jordan, yeah. and I, I am a sports fan, and I go to a lot of Thunder games, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a I'm not a, a 
a wild sports fan, but there was something about Michael Jordan that he was just age-wise, mm-hmm. whatever. He, I thought he was amazing. I bought the shoes, but you know, bought, bought in c- completely. And so to have that definitive documentary come out and hear him talk about everything, it, it gave me an appreciation for the people that are world-class yeah. because I think the rest of us who are kind of normal, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. easy. Well, it's easy to judge Ellen generous, yeah. but have you been the most popular talk show host for 10 years? I bet that is stressful. And I bet you yeah. are a bitch backstage, you yeah. know, but so you're just like, yeah. okay, well being Garth Brooks, to have that kind of control and being the top selling artist of all yeah. time means that you run a tight ship and not everyone likes running a tight mm-hmm. ship, you know? And so I, so for me, I felt like um, all, everything I saw in The Last Dance just confirmed that he's the greatest athlete of all time yeah. and that be, and, and he, he acknowledged that gift and did not accept any less. Yeah. And to me, that was just awesome. So everyone around him was like, yeah, he's really hard to be a teammate with because I wanted to go out and drink because I'm 22 and he won't yeah. let you. Yeah. You know, and you're like, well, great. So, yeah. um, so I thought that was amazing. Tiger King, which I actually liked I know a lot of Oklahoma people don't because they thought it made Oklahoma look bad. From an entertainment perspective, that was the most entertaining yeah, thing I've ever yeah. seen. Every single episode, you're like, what just happened? What did yeah. you do? What do you know? And so that's great TV. And right. the fact is, I was, when I was thinking about it, comparing it to the Michael Jackson expose, which was just gut punch. You know, mm. it's just like, no matter what happened, it is impossible not to be sick to your stomach yeah. that those kids felt that way, that he was that way, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, and so a lot of those in the R. Kelly, a lot of the gotcha, you're a sexual predator, yeah. is just so disturbing that it's like, even though they're well done, it's just hard. Right. Um, whereas I felt like Tiger King, you're like, okay, here is a really unique, wild, kind of wild frontier guy. Yeah. In a diff- from a different era that has forged this really weird life that you can't yeah. imagine. You know, and in so, the middle so, of nowhere. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere that just happened to be in our home. And yeah. so I think that Oklahomans were sensitive to it, but I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Um, I think the crown is fabulous. I think the Queen's Gambit is totally awesome. I think there's been a lot more <clears throat> female-driven dramas mm-hmm. and, and even comedies are just you know, are, are ruling the roost. And that's great. All the Reese Witherspoon projects, you know, yeah. and HBO and Little Fires Everywhere and Hulu, the um, I've loved all of those. Yeah. I mean, there's been so like that. The well, and the morning show mm-hmm. with Jennifer Aniston, that was amazing. Yeah. You know, and it starts off. And um, if you haven't seen it, you go in looking at America's Sweetheart, and it the drama happens in the very first episode. Yeah. And so she doesn't have any time to build into it, but you've loved her for so many years that you right. don't have to. And it was just, it was the best use of a star that yeah. of the year for me. It was just fascinating to see how, of course, I also can't remember if these came out last year or this year, because it's all, yeah, you know, it's all the like, same. Yeah. just because I see it on Netflix and maybe on HBO three weeks, right. three years ago. Um, and then Schitt's Creek, I, I love that Schitt's Creek finally got all the awards and all the attention because yeah. it was the most hilarious, like kind of cult TV show that then became the most popular. So it's a really yeah. fun. I, I put it off for a long time. Uh, my wife was like, uh, she's like, did you watch the, you know all of it? And I'm like, what? Why is that junk on the? You know, what yeah. is terrible? Uh, and then I love, I love Peaky Blinders. So I was watching Peaky Blinders oh, yeah. again at the start of this year, and and I've never watched The Office either, which is yeah. I don't know why. I just yeah. anyway, that kind of humor for me is. I'm from the UK. I have an right. excuse that I don't like that kind of humor. Yeah, exactly. uh, but so I, I made my wife a deal. I said, if you will watch Peaky Blinders with me, I will watch um, Shit's Creek. And we'd watch like an episode each way. And in the end, Peaky Blinders won because my wife's like, I, we have to keep watching this because right. it's amazing. But I now we're all watching Shit's Creek and I'm rolling every single time well, I, I watch I started an in the middle of it and it wasn't working. I mean, I, I yeah. started on a different season and I just went into it. My friend's like, go back go to the back. first one yeah. I did. And I mean, they're... I loved all the Christopher Guest movies, mm-hmm. you know, so Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy yeah. doing anything is the funniest thing. And so, just, and the fact that he wrote it with his son and just yeah, like, good. Uh, yeah, it, it is. If you haven't seen it, it takes a minute to mm-hmm. get the 
the tone, but once you do, it's the funniest thing. I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so uh-huh. coming towards the end of this year, uh, I guess with with the opportunity that came to you with finding cars so kind of soon, I guess you didn't uh-huh. really have that off time to to really figure out what's next. Yeah, and so, a lot of people, family and otherwise, are like, "Okay, great, this worked out great." So what's next? And you're like, "I literally just made a movie in three yeah. months, so I'm going to take a break. Like, I actually want to have uh, some time off now. <laughs> take a break and write the next one." So. Yeah. What I hope happens is that this is successful enough that we get to make another one, you know, and I believe that we accomplished the goal, which is we made a fun, uplifting movie Mm -hmm. employing a bunch of Oklahomans that allows a discussion about mental health and addiction in a, in a more positive way, you know, and, and that was our, that was our goal. And yeah, it'd be great if it goes on Netflix or something like that. And we are going to open ourselves up to those opportunities, but our goal was to provide a movie to Oklahoma during this time that was Mm -hmm. really positive uplifting. Uh, And you've done it during one of the hardest times, right? Like I know everything kind of came together, but still, when you go from having seventy-five people on set right. to thirteen, like that's not easy. Like well, everybody, it, like you said, easy. Well, it, yeah. Yeah. It, well, just think about this: it requires you to be your own assistant. Yeah. So now, when you're when you're saying, "Hey, can you run and get me that on set?" Now yeah. that you're running and getting, you know, and so yeah. it, it doesn't. Not every crew member wants to do that, and certainly not cinematographers sure. stuff. And so we had we had a crew of people that were excited to to do make the movie we were making. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm excited for next year. Um, I think. To actually, as this is going out, my mum actually is getting the vaccine tomorrow in the UK because oh, she, she's a nurse, so she's yeah. like on the she's oh, one of the first amazing. people to get it. Um, which yeah, hopefully, and you know, we we get to travel and you know, and do things that we want to do, and you get to have a full crew and all this other stuff, and the opportunities keep rolling in. But um, would I guess next year? Would you? Obviously, you'd like the Jones to open, and we can go to concerts again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm but, very excited. Well, yeah, I'm I'm super excited for the world to open back up, and and partially because you know more than half of my friends seemingly own restaurants. Yeah, <laughs> and um and amazing restaurants that have to have people eating there to succeed. And so, um, so I'm excited for the world. I'm excited for the vaccine. I'm excited for the world to open up. But I hope that what we retain is. Um, what the mm-hmm. pandemic did for me, other than finding Carlos, was it forced me to to go to public events where I'm speaking to a bunch of people I don't know yeah. and spend more time with the people I do know. Mm-hmm. And so I saw my parents two or three times a week. We were Zooming. I saw my family. And so my world went from all of Oklahoma yeah. to eight people. But I love those eight people, yeah. you know? And so what I hope happens is I hope I will still have lunch every single Sunday with my parents and spend the afternoon with them and not worry about a thousand other events right. that, that are less important than spending time with my parents, you know? And so for me, it was a good reset. I also have every advantage in the world. I had a job, I have a house, you know, so I, I don't want to diminish the fact that this has been completely devastating right. to lots of people. But for my own personal experience, it's been a good reset in that I give, through Dead Center and otherwise, I gave a lot of, I put a lot of energy out into the mm-hmm. world that was just kind of going out and it was really um, nice to be back where I'm with the people that I love the most my yeah. parents my family and friends and um, and giving to them because mm-hmm. they deserve some of that energy too yeah <laughs> alright so last question if if, uh-huh. if you, there's if the will opens back up yes. and you're still you know you're taking yes. your time off which you've yes. well deserved uh, where are you going first what are you going to do and you know I guess why, why would you go there my so the um, the my for yeah so when the world opens back up, my first goal is to go to every restaurant I've been missing. <laughs> um, and um, no, I would my my first my hope in January is to start working on a movie. Okay. You know, so I I think I probably won't travel for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, like I also don't think I'll get the vaccine for a while. Like right. I, I don't yeah. I don't see myself in one of those you know top tier mm-hmm. categories. Um, and so my goal is to 
continue to use this time as wisely as possible, create new stories. And, um, you know, and if we can do a sequel to Finding Carlos, great. Um, if not, we'll write something else. But yeah. my, my goal is to still stay here in Oklahoma and, um, and, and continue to create, you know, yeah. and then it'll probably be a year or so before I start going. I'll, I have a lot of friends in New York and I love New York, mm-hmm. but I'm not going there yet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, don't need, I don't need to see those 10 million people until they're all vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that Rockefeller tree from, from yeah, Zoom yeah, or from, from my from, TV. From my TV. Yeah. Uh, I guess we didn't talk about this, but obviously Rachel, Matt, close friends. Oh, yeah. Launched a huge thing this year with Prairie Surf Media and their whole movie business that they, they're you know getting into and still working on. Um, how, you know, I'm sure you knew about it along before I didn't know. Well, that's did. interesting because Rachel and I and Matt and I are both are separately yeah. really good friends. And I and it's interesting. It's taken me the last year to really realize how great of friends they are with each other and right. how long because uh-huh. Matt moved home first. And so he's a screenwriter that we he helped us launch all these screenwriting seminars for Dead Center that were getting 150 people. He's an amazing Very, teacher yeah. of screenwriting. Yeah. Like he's awesome. And then Rachel moved home and we met, I think, through Amy Janes. And, um, and she produced a short film with me last year mm-hmm. called Send Me Wings, a Christian short that she co-wrote and starred in and um and um so as this whole thing is coming her birthday was two days ago so i just talked mm-hmm. to her but what what prairie surf media is going to do for oklahoma film is take it to the next level financially yeah. because um to to get a 50 million dollar movie means that you have sound stages where people are there for eight weeks to right. you know to to four months um at a time and that's really when you and and what that does is unlike my movie which employed 13 movies then all of a sudden they're employing 150 people for mm-hmm. eight months yeah on a you know on a superhero movie and i think that is is a godsend for yeah. Oklahoma because the fact is I think for Oklahoma film and I do believe this I think for Oklahoma film to really get a name for itself it has to be a combination of local filmmakers like Mickey Reese like Ryan Belgard whoever um, creating films that break out of the bubble mm-hmm. you know so like if Finding Carlos were to become on Netflix that would help Oklahoma film and yeah. same with all of you know anyone's films and then separately, it's providing enough full-time jobs for people to move here, mm. you know, like Atlanta. And so, and right now, we have a lot of full-time jobs for Oklahomans. And I think what this will do is we'll start seeing this grow as an industry, just like aerospace is, right? Yeah. They can't fill all the jobs in aerospace because there's so many jobs. And that's our hope with this studio. Yeah. And I think Rachel and Matt are the perfect people to lead it because they both worked very successfully in, in Hollywood before coming home, yeah. have those connections. And they're just, and they have the right attitude for we're, we're here to help Oklahoma film go to the next level in a specific specific way right. and I think that they will do that yeah I'm excited it's going to be awesome to see what they can pull out you know pull off and like I said with those connections bring in Hollywood here it's, uh, well, it's here's the other, awesome. well here's the other thing that is such an exciting thing for me and I give um, Tava Sofsky um, a lot of credit you know who's the film commissioner mm-hmm. she um, is Governor Stitt and particularly Lieutenant Governor Pinnell have been wildly supportive of the film industry in a way that has not happened before that. Yeah. You know, when Brad Henry did a film, I mean, like, like right. there's always been people there's interested, a vision, though, isn't it? but it was an art form on the side. And mm-hmm. what, what the current administration does is acknowledge it as an industry yeah. that has a viable opportunity to employ Oklahomans. And I think that that, that shift is the reason I think we'll be super yeah. successful. So 10 years from now, I think you will see Batman being filmed here because all it takes is, uh, you know, a perfect storm of the right people in government and yeah. industry working together to create those jobs. Yeah, and we have all the landscapes and everything, which for everyone listening, I'll post a link to that Prairie Surf Media podcast down below, and it's it's fascinating. But uh, Lance, thanks for coming in. Well, Absolute thank pleasure. you so much for having us. It's great to, to see be you back, again. and I appreciate what you do. I think what you're doing for Oklahoma is also thank awesome you. because it's helping others understand how great it is. But as importantly, it's helping 
helping Oklahomans understand how great our state is. And I think that that is a, a wonderful job. You're doing. I appreciate it. So deadcenterfilm.org to see the movie? Deadcenterfilm.org. You can awesome. see it for free till December 31st. All right. Thanks for listening and watching, guys. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast was presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, who've been telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.